The first reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 4, commencing at verse 7, and can be found on page 232 in the New Testament section of the Church Bible. The end of all things is near. Therefore be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the Gospel reading. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. John chapter 21, starting at the beginning of that chapter. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. So he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. So he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumour spread in the community that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him he would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May my words be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. In Jesus' name, Amen. Do sit down. Our focus this morning is going to be on the John passage, but please don't forget the first reading because coming back to it after this morning's service, it becomes um, a benediction on what we've experienced in God's Word today. So there's a treat for you after lunch to read that first reading again. If you're counting, it's three weeks since Easter Day. And in our services here at All Saints, we've travelled from Easter to this point. We walked on the road to Emmaus with Cleopas and his companion on that first Easter Day. And then we virtually ran back to Jerusalem. I don't think they probably did. It's seven miles. They walked seven. They probably weren't running back seven, but you know what I mean. Unable to contain our excitement because we have met the living Christ. We've seen the Lord. He has risen, just as he said. We're still seeking to encounter God now. It's not a one-off encounter And we encounter him in truth in the scriptures that have just been read to us and all the other scriptures that we find here. Keep 
reading them, keep meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. Still learning, but also now sharing the thrill of the knowledge of the risen Lord. And last week, we found the disciples, still on that first day of the week, uneasy that same evening, meeting behind closed doors that were locked. But Jesus came and revealed himself to them and commissioned them all as a group. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you, Jesus said. Just pause. As the Father has sent me to live, to preach, to declare the kingdom of God, to lead the whole world into the new creation of the resurrected Lord. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's the name of the game for Christians. Then still in Jerusalem a week later, and again behind locked doors, Still caution, still hesitation. And we saw Jesus again last week with Thomas. So wrongly called Doubting Thomas. He wasn't doubting, he just wanted to be sure, and that's okay. And he didn't say, what shall we do to get Jesus to come? He just said, I need to see him myself. And they're gathered together, and without invitation, Jesus is there. And we heard how he said to Thomas, touch these hands, put your hand in my side. Did Thomas do that? Read your Bibles. Did he do that? No. He didn't need to. The encounter with the living Christ was enough. My Lord and my God. And now where are we? Well, uh, a little time on. We're not sure quite how much further on. Have the disciples run away back to Galilee to hide? They were, after all, anxious. Even having met Jesus, they were still in a locked room. No, they haven't run away. After I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee, Jesus said. Find that in Mark. And he said that when he told Jesus, when Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times before the cock crowed twice. That's when he said, I'm going ahead into Galilee. I will rise and you will meet me. Hang on to that connection. It's important for our passage this morning. And the command to go into Galilee was also given on Sunday school quiz question Easter day by the heavenly messenger sitting outside the tomb and speaking with great authority to Mary Magdalene go tell his disciples and Peter don't leave Peter out we all know why you might the Lord is going ahead of you into Galilee there you will see him just as he told you Or was the angel there when Jesus said that to Peter? No. 
but he knew. And here we are in Galilee. The disciples have been obedient. They're waiting for the Lord. They have been obedient and they are waiting for the Lord. That's what we're doing as we wait for the Lord to come again. I trust we are being obedient as we wait for the Lord. But our situation is different, as we'll see in a moment. The disciples need to eat. Of course they do. And even while waiting for Jesus, they get hungry. So they decide to do some fishing, and why not? It's what they're good at. Um, Or are they? Our reading is the epilogue to the Gospel of John. The, if we're in a certain sort of church, we might say the antiphon, the answering voice is what we're reading now. We have the prologue we read at Christmas. We have the epilogue that we encounter now as we head towards Ascension and Pentecost. John loves signs. He loves balance. He loves shape. So he's completing his narrative as he began it. So we're still in that run of resurrection appearances, of course. And if you have your Bibles open page 112, you'll see that in verse 1 of our passage, Jesus appeared. Jesus appeared. This is how Jesus appeared. And the literal word is, he revealed himself. And here's another theme from John's Gospel that it's worth picking up on. John the Baptist came that Jesus might be revealed In the first sign at the wedding in Cana, Jesus revealed his glory. In the prayer to God for his disciples in John 17, Jesus says to his Father, I, Jesus, have revealed you, God, to those whom you gave me out of the world. And now in his risen body, Jesus reveals himself to the seven disciples in their boat. And it's worth noticing that all these appearances and encounters, these resurrection events, are all at Jesus' initiative. Cleopas and his companion are walking and they're joined by this stranger. Sitting in a locked room, Jesus appears. Out fishing, a figure appears on the beach. Everything in Scripture has significance. And the Greek word for fish here that Jesus used in in his question when he asks them about their success is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. There's always a reason in Scripture. This is a particular moment like no other. And the word used is a word that we might use um, titbit, tasty morsel, And that would normally be a piece of fish in first century Galilee. Tom Wright, Professor N.T. Wright, in his translation of John, translates that question beautifully. Children, he says, as we have in in RSV, haven't you caught anything worth eating? I like that. That's lovely. It captures the meaning there. Jesus knows exactly what's happening, doesn't he? 
And so he calls out as a stranger on the, on the shore, caught anything worth eating? You can imagine they all look at each other and say, we'll be so lucky. And we've heard the story read of what happened next. Put the net out on the right-hand side and just like that, a net so full, it's unmanageable. 153 fish, well, there's a shelf full of books on what 153 might mean. It's a big number, and there were so many fish, someone thought, we'd better count this. It's a lot. But the powerful symbol here, of course, is that they were good at fishing. They knew how to fish. But fishing wasn't their calling anymore, was it? So they weren't catching anything. Fishing without Jesus achieves nothing in the kingdom of God either. Jesus had said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So far so good. So perhaps we could bear some fruit if we don't remain in him? No. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So unless Jesus, the risen Jesus, the Lord of glory, is part of the endeavour and directing it, Nothing is achieved. The fish story is intended to show the disciples that the fishing Jesus wants them to be doing is dependent on his power. In order to bear fruit, it must be in accordance with his will and in his power. And it's just the same for us. And what we give is what gives, is given to us by God. 153 fish replace an empty net. Jesus has already provided fish and bread on the hot coals on the beach, and that's what they eat first. Then there's more fish, but it's not their fish. It's the fish, again, that Jesus has miraculously provided. And out of that, there's reassurance, there's the meeting of physical needs and there's the receiving of, of loving, kindly service from the Lord himself, just as he did before his passion. They're tired, they're hungry, it's cold. And did you notice when this is all happening? Just as dawn was breaking. Does that remind you of something we were reading just a few weeks ago? Just as dawn was breaking, the Lord appears and brings comfort and speaks. All for a purpose. Peter has some prominence in this narrative, of course, and we're coming to the key part just in a moment. And he hauls that massive load of fish ashore on his own. I had never noticed that before till preparing for this morning. You know, historically, they talk about the big fisherman, that Peter was this 
Man Mountain. Well, he must have been to do that. And that's a really good illustration of a big, strong man for God. And I love the tell the disciples and Peter, don't leave him out. Everyone has a different role. We're all in this together. John, our narrator, is here. His role is going to be very different to Peter's. But he believed first, if you remember, and he got to the tomb first. But Peter, the man of action, goes inside. And here, Peter's busy with whatever he's busy with, but it's John who puts two and two together, as we say. And he sees all these fish, and he sees the figure on the shore, and maybe the light's picking up a bit, and he peers through maybe the mist across this short distance of water, and he turns to Peter, and not for the first time, he's saying, Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter being Peter doesn't say, are you sure? Well, we'll find out when we get to the beach. He leaps out of the boat. God doesn't duplicate. Each one of us here who have turned to Christ as Lord is given service and it's ours from God for us to do. Not the same, not duplicated for us to do. John's clarity of mind is a powerful gift. Peter's bold action is a powerful gift. Let me get to verse 15, the incredibly important and the key part of this passage really for us this morning of those three questions and three answers. What's happening here? There's a once and for all moment for Peter, isn't there? We know actually that the Lord has already appeared to Peter So they've done business together already since that fateful night in the courtyard. But here in public, so to speak, in front of the other disciples with whom Peter will be working, there's work to be done. But he doesn't call him Peter yet. He calls him Simon, son of John. Not Peter yet, not yet the rock. The air must be cleared between Peter and Jesus before Peter can stand fully confident before the Lord. And that air is cleared. We remember those three painful denials in the high priest courtyard. If you reread that passage, you, you can feel Peter isn't enjoying what he's saying. And now these three questions with its corresponding answer each time but that third anguished answer don't ask me again Lord you know all things you know what was in my heart in the courtyard when I spoke as I did I was the one who said I'd die for you and I wouldn't even admit I knew you when push came to shove But despite my bitter failure, you know I love you. You know all things. You know it. Peter's reconciliation is a wonderful testament to God's love. 
Peter was never lost. He was knocked down, but not knocked out, as J.B. Phillips translates one of Paul's expressions. He knew what needed to be done, and he knew Jesus would do it. And he didn't hesitate, did he? He didn't cower. He's in the boat. He's the first out. Blow the fish. It's Jesus. No fear in Peter. A longing to be reconciled. If you have a longing to be reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ for any reason, he's waiting for you. Jump out of the boat, run ashore, and have a chat with him. Peter's made ready for service, service to which Jesus is calling him. Feed my lambs, tend and feed my sheep. It's all verbs, all doing words, no nouns. This is not a ministry of office. Peter, I want you to be the leader of the gang when I go back to heaven. No, Peter, what I want you to do is to feed the people who come to me. And the sheep of the lambs are the Lord's flock, my lambs, my sheep. And the Lord concludes the conversation with two simple words, full of weight, full of significance, follow me. It's all sorted between us, Peter. You're fine, I'm fine, there's work to be done. Go on following me, doing what I've asked you to do. And that's the call to all of us who believe in the risen Christ. Follow me, he says. Peter comes out of this encounter in the words of the hymn, pardoned, healed, restored, forgiven. And with those four things, he's ready for action. I imagine this conversation as Peter and Jesus strolling down the beach. They've had breakfast, chit-chat, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, we need a word. Let's just walk down the beach together. And I also imagine John, who I think was quite brotherly concerned for Peter, jumping up and thinking, oh, crumbs, is he going to give him a complete dressing down? I think I'll... I'll hover, you know, as they walk away. Because scripture tells us that John was standing there. And they walk down the beach and they have this conversation. And all is restored. And I picture Peter turning round with a great big smile on his face as he walks back towards the fire. And the burning coals that probably reminded him, did they, of the courtyard fire at which he warmed himself on that terrible night, are now welcoming for him, because all that's gone. No looking back, only looking forward to a life lived with Christ in his name. There's so much in this rich passage. If we are Christ's, 
we serve a Lord whose promises will be kept. I will rise again. When I have risen, I will go into Galilee and you will meet me. It's a Lord who forgives, who pardons and releases us for service. Sometimes do you not feel this like you've got strapping round your chest of something you need to be freed from? Jesus says, let me take that off. I'm here because I love you. You can live on from this moment because I love you. Our service is chosen for us. We all find our service in a host of different ways, all sorts of ways. But for us, the fruits, the harvest, the catch of fish is his, made possible by his power. And Jesus says to Peter, don't worry about John, I'll I'll look after John. I've told you there's a martyr's death waiting for you. Work to be done and then a martyr's death. But for John, I'm not telling you because it's none of your business. It's my business and John's. And in this passage we meet the Lord who comes to us with his love, his reassuring presence and his power. And our service is possible only through our obedience to him. The disciples were obedient. They went to Galilee. Peter was obedient. He answered the questions honestly and clearly. And the Lord sent him on his way. And it's that kind of service that glorifies God. And that's the name of the game for us as Christians, to be glorifying God. Read the New Testament and see what for Jesus it was all about. I came here because the Father sent me. I do what I do because the Father tells me. I care for the ones the Father gives me. I give to them, another passage not ours today, everything you have given me, says Jesus. Think about that. Everything you have given me, I'm giving to them. Well, on that beach, full of a nice cooked breakfast, the disciples could have said, the Lord is here. But they could not yet say, his spirit is with us. Pentecost beckoned, but had not yet come. Our privilege today, and every day as Christians even before we've celebrated our remembering of Pentecost, is that we can say both things today and every day. So let's finish by saying those things together. The Lord is here, his spirit is with us. The Lord is here, his spirit is with us.